Writing about crime contains themes and subjects that some may find upsetting. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Bonnie Lee and this is Writing About Crime. In 1978, Lori Douglas received her Bachelor of Arts degree at the University of Winnipeg, and she went on to complete her law degree at the University of Manitoba. And finally, in 1983, she was called to the Manitoba Bar. She becomes a professor at the University of Manitoba Law School and works with students instructing classes on the Bar Admissions course, among other courses. And later, Lori becomes a partner at the firm Thompson, Dorfman, Sweatman, and specializes in family law, where she meets her soon-to-be husband, Jack King. Lori was in her 40s when she married the handsome lawyer who came to Canada in 1979. He had received a law degree from the London University and was called to the Bar of England and Wales before repeating the exam in Manitoba. And in 1986, he became the vice chairman of the Manitoba Bar Association's Family Law Subsection, and then became chairman in 1987. And that same year, he became the first president of Family Mediation Manitoba, and continued to provide lectures and seminars at the University and the Law Society of Manitoba, as well as other conferences. By 1990, he joined the same firm as Lori Douglas, and then they're married. They have a son, and Lori continues to be successful in her practice and is a partner in the firm. Jack is busy and involved in the community, becoming the president of Tennis Manitoba in the early 1990s. Things are going well for the successful couple. But around the fall of 2002, Jack King is beginning to experience serious depression, and Lori notices that he's becoming difficult and sometimes acts very odd. He begins asking her to pose in risky photos, which she obliges, thinking he's having some version of a crisis and is trying to spice things up. He takes around 100 to 150 nude photos of his wife and fellow lawyer. And in the photos, she's wearing bondage gear and performing some sex acts. He keeps the Polaroid photos, but Lori doesn't review them or really know what he is doing with them. It's more of his thing that he's working through, and she feels it will pass as things transition through time. In the fall of 2002, around October, Jack retains a new client named Alexander Chapman, and he was to represent him in his divorce case. Alexander, previously known as Leonard Kowako, has some criminal history. He had previously been convicted of arson, theft, and uttering threats. However, Jack King seems to get along well with his client, and in April, early May of 2003, King invites him to lunch several times. And on May 17th of 2003, Alexander Chapman meets with his lawyer and his wife, Lori Douglas, at Earl's on Main, a local bar and restaurant 
They talk over drinks, and Laurie doesn't stay long, although Alexander later says she did, and he claims she stayed for almost two hours. He also claims that she was flirtatious with him, and that later that evening when he got home, his lawyer sent him an email. And in it, he tells his client that his wife is interested in him, and maybe Alexander would be interested in a meeting with her. He sends him some photos of Lori, and recommends that he reviews a profile of her on a website called Dark Cavern, and he suggests that they may want to meet. And he suggests that he wants Alexander Chapman to have sex with his wife. They meet five days later, and this time, Alexander Chapman says that Lori Douglas is inappropriately touching him, and he becomes uncomfortable when she invites him to come to their home for a future meeting. Like any story where three people all tell their version, the details don't always align from each person's account. However, there's no doubt that Jack King sent his client Alexander Chapman, the risque photos of his wife, Lori Douglas. But how much did she know? Or the even bigger question I'm asking, how much do we need to know? Well, you can be the jury on this chapter, so please don't leave me. On June 3rd of 2003, Alexander Chapman contacts a legal representative and sends him copies of all of the photos, emails, and documents relating to his complaint, and he's asking for his services. And by June 6th, the law firm that Lori and Jack are partners at are notified of the complaint. And to Lori's horror, all of Alexander's evidence is included in the complaint. Shocked and horrified, Lori confronts Jack for answers about the photos and what transpired between Jack and his client. By the end of 2003, an arrangement was made. Jack King will send a check for $25,000 payable to Alexander Chapman. And in return, he will destroy all of his evidence and agree not to take any further legal action against the couple. Jack is not made to leave the firm, but he is required to seek counseling and to provide documentation from a medical practitioner that confirms he's able to return back to work. Jack King takes one year of a medical leave and resigns from the law firm. He begins working at his own law firm when he's well enough to practice again, called Peterson King. And Lori stays with Jack, and her career continues to prosper. In 2003, Lori throws her hat in as an applicant to sit on the bench, and the Chief Justice of the Manitoba Court of Queen's Bench is made aware of the photos that were being put online. And he initially objects to her candidacy because of this, fearing that the photos may become publicly known. The chair of the Judicial Appointment Committee was then informed of the incident in 2004 when Lori Douglas's application to be a judge was once again under consideration. And ultimately, the full committee was consulted and no one believes that the scandal should prevent Lori from being appointed. That May 19th of 2009, Lori is told she will be appointed 
and she writes in her gardening diary that she is on instant cloud nine. On May 20th, 2009, Lori Douglas is appointed as Associate Chief Justice of the Court of Queen's Bench Family Division. She's appointed by Prime Minister Stephen Harper, and around that time, she also becomes a member of the Canadian Judicial Council, or the CJC. In 2010, between July 13th and 15th, Alexander Chapman, a computer programmer working for the large insurance outfit Great West Life, files a complaint with the Canadian Judicial Council and the Law Society of Manitoba. He's alleging sexual harassment and discrimination by the Honorable Lori Douglas and her husband Jack King. He includes their previous law firm in the complaint. Then he continues on to notify the national public broadcaster, the CBC with copies of the emails and photos related to his complaint. He says he retained Jack King to handle his divorce, who later showed him sexually explicit photos of his naked wife in various forms of bondage, with sex toys and performing oral sex. He claims he was then directed by Jack to a website where white women search for black partners. Newspapers and other media run with the story when Alexander Chapman goes public with his accusations. And Judge Lori Douglas is regularly seen on the cover of newspapers, smiling in her judicial robe with lurid comments for headlines. The CBC presents the saucy story under the guise of public interest. And the public devours it. The international media companies run the story and her private life becomes world news. In the meantime, Alexander Chapman tries to have his $25,000 returned to Jack King, but it's promptly sent back. On September 21st of 2010, Alexander Chapman files his personal lawsuit against Jack King and Lori Douglas, and he includes the law firm that employed them. He is seeking... $67 million in damages, and he discloses in his claim that Lori Douglas and Jack King sexually lured him while he was vulnerable and trying to obtain a divorce. He tells the Winnipeg Free Press that he carried a heavy burden for the past seven years, and he's asking for a $10 million settlement to resettle the case again. He says Jack King groomed and harassed him to have sex with his wife, who was a lawyer at the same law firm. He expresses anger at being presented as an extortionist and appears in the periodical with tears streaming down his face. Alexander makes grandiose claims that he felt Jack King was torturing him mentally and that he was left in a state of confusion and he felt that they were ganging up on him. He's so indignant that he says even under hypnosis, his body could never fulfill the requests that they were pressuring him to perform, although he does agree that Lori had never directly addressed him about the sexual suggestions, but that he was disgusted by the graphic photos that Jack King sent him. He said Jack was showing him the photos to encourage him to sleep with his wife. In awkward wording, he tells the media about one meeting with Jack and Lori, where Lori talks with him about his legal troubles and reveals details about her personal life. 
such as a prospective horse that she was considering purchasing. Alexander defends his behavior of accepting the settlement, saying that he was desperate when he accepted the $25,000 payment and agreed that he would destroy the images that he was in possession of, and then not discuss the incidents publicly. He comments that he had recently been involved in a civil matter with the courts, and he suspected that Lori influenced the hearing because his case was not successful. He makes the broad claim that he will never see justice in the province because Lori is friends with every judge. Later that same day, September 1st of 2010, Lori Douglas steps aside from her position on the bench in light of the public scrutiny. She still claims she had no previous knowledge of the events going on until she compelled her husband to explain in 2003. As far as this being a big bomb in the legal community, it was less than earth-shattering. Alan Feinblit, the chief executive officer of the Law Society Manitoba, spoke to reporter Mike McIntyre, telling him that the governing body has been aware of the scandal since 2003, saying the legal community in the province is tight-knit, and people were aware of the allegations and the settlement. He says they may not have known all of the details about the financial settlement, but they knew basic elements of the claim. He also tells McIntyre that Lori disclosed the details of her husband's conflict with Alexander Chapman to a committee that was vetting her nomination for the Queen's bench. He said he didn't know how detailed that would have been because he was unclear how much even she knew about the details of the situation at the time. The Law Society of Manitoba decides to investigate the complaint as it relates to Jack King, and a ruling on his conduct is expected within a month. In concert on September 2, 2010, Joanna Laporte, the Director of Communications for the Canadian Judicial Council, says the complaint being reviewed by a senior member of the committee is being considered, and it's worth evaluating to the committee for a hearing. It would be one of only four times in 40 years, with only one successful this far in removing a judge from office. That fall, Lori takes a week medical leave, expecting she will return to the bench and resume her seat. September 23rd of 2010, Alexander Chapman drops his $7 million lawsuit against Lori and a $50 million suit against the law firm. He's told it lacks adequate evidence. Lori Davis's lawyer tells the media, we all recognized that the lawsuit was ill-founded. Now it appears Alexander may not only be denied any payout for his legal pursuits, but he may also find himself in considerable trouble for making the claims on a countersuit that Jack King enacted after he broke the terms of the previous arrangement. In fact, Justice John Menzies acknowledged the agreement as a considerable factor in his decision to toss the case. He was satisfied that Jack King provided sufficient evidence that he had settled this issue with Alexander years ago, and the terms included on the agreement to not pursue any further legal action and destroy the photos and communications, both seem to have not been met. 
In the interim, between the hearing and this lawsuit against Jack King, Alex Chapman is let go from his position with Great West Life. By November 4th of 2010, Jack King learns that the province's legal governing body will review his conduct, and he possibly may lose his ability to practice law. Two senior lawyers and one public representative will be looking into his handling of the events regarding Alexander Chapman. Chapman's lawyer tells the media that his client was tricked into signing the confidentiality agreement to stay silent and not pursue legal action against King. Meanwhile, a couple of weeks later, Alexander Chapman has his $10 million lawsuit against Jack King dismissed. Leaving the Judicial Council's review of the sexual harassment complaints to be resolved, as well as the Law Society's disciplinary hearing into Jack King's professional misconduct. By December 22nd, the Judicial Council is still running the investigation at a dragging pace. As the end of 2010 runs near, it appears they will be continuing for months and beyond. Alexander says he's yet to be interviewed. And he tells the press that he knows the millions of dollars he's asking for in his civil cases seemed excessive. But he wanted to demonstrate the seriousness of the charges and have attention brought to the case. As though the high-profile defendants and the seriousness of the claims was not enough to get the public noticing. Chapman says he was feeling some satisfaction in hearing that the Law Society was investigating Jack King for three counts of misconduct. He said he hopes that the committee considers the public interest as they form their decisions. On January 5th, 2011, the Canadian Judicial Council partially cleared Laurie when it found that an allegation that she improperly presided over a divorce case was unfounded. It was a significant legal finding, as some were concerned that people from other cases that she sat over would be coming forward to have their rulings reversed. However, the Chief Justice from Alberta, Neil Whitman, deemed the sexual harassment complaint was worthy of a full investigation, highlighting that these were only allegations, but should be looked into. The results could be anything from losing her seat on the bench to simply apologizing and having the complaint resolved. Lori is still off the bench after removing herself that past summer. She was still working in administrative capacities while the inquiry was being settled. In the meantime, Alexander Chapman still complains to the media that he's not been interviewed and is not receiving responses to his calls and emails when he asks about the advancements in the inquiry. And he says, it seems... They are interested in protecting their own. Joanna Laporte says, as a spokesman for the council, that Alexander Chapman has been contacted numerous times by phone, and they have kept the invite open for him to provide any relevant information regarding his complaint. This appears just to be Alexander using the media to get the panel to keep him more involved. He doesn't have control of what the panel will do or not do, and he's not satisfied to let the process move ahead without having him in it. In March of 2011, the Manitoba Law Society conducted an investigation into Alexander Chapman's accusations against Jack. 
the focus included three specific issues. The first was the allegation of sexual harassment. The second was Jack putting his own interests before the interests of his client. And lastly, the issue of demonstrating integrity as a member of the law society. At the hearing, Jack admits to professional misconduct, and he's reprimanded and ordered to pay $13,000 in costs. But he's not disbarred or suspended. Jack King had admitted to sending the photos, arranging the meetings for drinks, and posting his partner's photos online. He comments to the court, My behavior was disgraceful. And to my wife, I can never apologize enough. He told of having a mental breakdown during that period of his life, and he was in a deep depression. He told them that Lori was involved in his strange sexual tastes, but was not involved in any more than that. He said, It was essentially in pursuit of some absolutely bizarre sexual behavior on my part. It was a sexual fantasy that was so bizarre, ridiculous, stupid, self-indulgent, and grotesque, and so on and so on. At this point, Jack is 65 years old, and he's diagnosed with clinical depression, and he's put on medications. He doesn't return to work for over a year. On July 7th of 2011, the Judicial Council begins setting up the parameters around the inquiry, after the review panel agreed to send the complaint to a public inquiry. The committee will be composed of members of the council, and the justice minister will also be able to appoint participants, but they must have a minimum of 10 years of experience. The public inquiry is a rarity, but the executive director and senior general counsel in Ottawa says that all judges must meet the high expectations of Canadians while performing their duties. By September 8, 2011, the inquiry into Lori Douglas establishes a preliminary hearing, and the committee will be composed of five members, including a Chief Justice from Ontario, Alberta, Prince Edward Island, as well as two lawyers, one from St. Catharines, Ontario, and another from Montreal. All five members will review the case and determine if Lori Douglas should be removed from the bench. All five will review the photos and emails that Alexander Chapman provided in his complaint. Lori Douglas's lawyer expresses concern over local media attention and says taking special consideration for her son, she's asking the inquiry to take place in another city. But the Alberta Chief Justice argues that the concern over media attention is not enough to justify relocating the hearing. She argues that the inquiry is in the public interest and rightfully should be held in the same city where it belongs. In May of 2012, the Canadian Judicial Council concludes that there is no basis to proceed on the allegations of sexual harassment, but the panel, led by Chief Justice Catherine Fraser, overrules the decision and determines it will be included in the hearing. Catherine is less forgiving than her peers in the Manitoba legal community, I suppose. Or she just doesn't approve of Lori's private sexual life so much that she'll publicly shame her over it. I'm not sure. 
Other senior members of the Manitoba Court of Queen's Bench felt that this private conduct didn't reflect negatively on her ability to perform as a judge. By May 12th, the Independent Council presents the Inquiry Committee a notice of allegations. This informs the judge of the investigation and what conduct and allegations are being made. The notice of allegations did not include the Chapman complaint, but the Inquiry Committee then directed the Independent Council to include the Chapman complaint in the notice of allegation, although he would have limited standings. So, Alexander Chapman was granted rights for limited participation and funding to acquire legal representation. Both the Independent Council and lawyers for Lori Douglas were opposed to Chapman getting any kind of standing. But the Inquiry Committee said in no way its decision was meant to undermine the role. The allegations were presented as, Alexander Chapman alleged he was the target of a sexual conspiracy by Lori Douglas and her husband, Jack King. Chapman told the Inquiry that King pointed him to Dark Cavern, a website where white women look for black men as sex partners. And he mentioned a username that was connected to nude photos. Jack King admitted to giving the nude photos of Lori Douglas to Chapman in an attempt to persuade him to have sex with her. But whether Lori Douglas knew what her husband was up to and should she have disclosed the story when she applied for the bench are central issues in the inquiry, which will decide whether Douglas remains on the bench. They describe that Lori Douglas did not inform the courts of the existing photos and misled the appointees by representing that she had no knowledge of why she wouldn't be a suitable candidate to sit on the Queen's bench. Alexander Chapman is allowed to make a statement, and he tells of being diagnosed with a chronic stress disorder and says he cannot take on the legal fees required to be represented during the inquiry. Telling the panel that Jack King has taken everything from him, he now can't work and has nothing left, saying, all I wanted was a divorce. Chapman declines to tell the committee about the money that he received from selling his portion of ownership in a jazz club that totaled over $130,000 and he's approved funding for free legal services in aid of submitting his complaint and to help him have a say during the hearings. That June, a statement responding to the allegations by the Canadian Judicial Council was filed, and the statement contains several names of people who were aware of the photos. And notable is the Chief Justice of Manitoba Court of Queen's Bench, He expressed concern that if Lori was granted a position, she could be exposed to blackmail or be targeted in some way, but he relented after consideration. Lori Davis states she's the victim of wrongdoing by her husband and Alex Chapman, which she calls acts of unimaginable betrayal in pursuit of a mad and undisclosed fantasy and soliciting Alexander Chapman to have sex with her. She accuses Alexander of trying to pit her husband's aberrant behavior as a way of extorting him. She denies any meetings with Chapman were driven by some sexual purpose. The statement concludes that Lori Douglas did not believe she was responsible or accountable for the wrongdoing of a family member who had victimized her. 
the disclosure required in her application for the bench never required her to disclose private and lawful sexual activity. Lori also takes exception to the concern about the photos being publicly available. It's Alexander Chapman's wrongdoing that makes the photos available, and she should not be held accountable by the panel for that. On June 26th of 2012, in his opening remarks, the Independent Counsel for the CJC inquiry said that the hearing will not be a witch hunt or a whitewash, and it will be scrupulously fair. He said the inquiry would be going into parts of Lori's private life that are unprecedented, but that it was necessary considering the gravity of the accusations. He said the facts bring into question if she could indeed remain sitting on the bench. He tells the panel this will come down to a form of credibility contest. By July 6th, it's announced that the CJC will hold a public inquiry into the sex scandal. Through her lawyer... Lori tells the media that she never hid the details of the events from the panel as she was being considered as appointment for the Court of Queen's Bench. She advised that it was an open secret. She also says that the matter at that time was fully settled and the evidence was ordered destroyed. She had no reason to believe that there would be any issue in regards to her public perception as a judge in the community. It was also clear that the senior members of the bench didn't think that her participation in the sex photos was a reason to exclude her from judicial appointment. Opinions vary. On June 16th, Kim Sigurdsson, a commenter in the Winnipeg Free Press, responded to an article where Lori Douglas broke her silence about the case. She said she felt sorry for Lori earlier, thinking she just had a skeleton in her closet even empathizing, God knows we all have them. But she said now that she's learned that other lawyers, judges, and even the Manitoba Law Society all handled the information discreetly, she now wants her found incompetent and calls for the Law Society to be held accountable. She scolds, the fact remains that the naked photos of her were on the internet for all to see, so her integrity as a judge has been compromised. And she should have done the right thing and resigned back in 2010. Jack King, meanwhile, had filed for reimbursement of the funds that he provided to Alexander Chapman in their original settlement. The night before the hearing, his lawyer, Bill Gange, gets a phone call warning him that if the suit is not dropped, Lori Douglas's photos will be released onto the internet. Jack King's lawyer refuses. June 22nd, two years after Alexander Chapman's decision to renege on his agreement with Jack King backfires, and he's ordered to return the payment of $25,000. As an extra kick, he is required to cover the legal fees that Jack King incurred as a result of his backstep. Chapman didn't appear at the hearing and instructed his lawyer not to appear either. Lori Douglas's photos appeared online again that evening. In July, there were issues with the committee's request that some witnesses be cross-examined. Lori Douglas's lawyer moves for the entire committee to recuse itself because the questioning of witnesses created bias, but the committee declined. Moving forward, the points of consideration are fourfold. One, that she sexually harassed Mr. Chapman. 
too, that she failed to disclose the issue when she was screened for a judicial appointment, and three, that she didn't fully disclose some facts to the inquiry and changed a 2003 entry in her personal diary in 2010. Lastly, that the photos have undermined confidence in the justice system and her ability to act as a judge. The major point to keep top of mind is what the Judges Act states. A judge has to become incapacitated or disabled by reason of age or infinity, or misconduct or otherwise failed in the execution of the office, including having their own conduct putting them in an incompatible position. By the 17th of July, the Judicial Council begins hearings and cautions it does not want a spectacle in a crowded federal building. Alexander Chapman is brought in to testify, and he says, speaking of Judge Lori Douglas, it's almost like she was sexually depraved. As he describes how Jack King tried to lure him into having sex with his wife, he says his impression is that they were into having crazy sex, but Jack wanted to expand their experience. He said it was unlikely that Lori was not aware of Jack King's dealings because being an intelligent lawyer, she couldn't be that naive. He admitted to his history of filing multiple civil lawsuits and to his own criminal past, but claimed it had no bearing on his honesty, even offering to be hypnotized, taking a polygraph, or having his personal diaries examined by the FBI. He pointed out that anyone who doubts him is likely a racist, offering my skin is black and I'm in a society where minorities don't really get favors. He detailed his meetings with Jack King and told the panel how he was directed to the website Dark Cavern and told to look under White Princesses. And it was there he saw the photos of Lori Douglas. He said he had no intention of getting involved and claimed that his lawyer had control over me. He raped my mind. The next day, Alexander Chapman is questioned by Sheila Block, a lawyer for the Associate Chief Justice Lori Douglas at the inquiry. She questions him about his day planner, which she says presents a confirmation of his agreement with a neighbor to have sex with his wife for $500. He said the money was actually for him to teach her how to use their computer. Handwritten notes included things like, he would pay me $500 a week to do her. And another handwritten entry reads, I would flatter his wife with compliments. The end of the sentence is erased, but added, he would walk in, he would ask me to leave, walk out the door, and pay me later. Sheila Block pulled out other examples from Chapman's day planner about his neighbor, saying that Chapman wrote, he went over to Dennis's house to fix a computer. Dennis leaves and lets me flirt with his wife. That's a lie, Chapman mutters. This man is 80 years old. Sheila responds curtly, it's your diary. When Alexander is asked where the original emails are from Jack King, attempting to arrange the meetup with Lori, He claims that he made copies of them in a text file and he discarded the original emails. This is suspicious because he could alter the copies and present them as any way that he chooses. And when he's questioned about his second meeting with Jack King, where he apparently met Laurie, 
Sheila Block questioned why there were no entries in his day planner for that meeting. She asked, There's not one note in your day planner about that meeting? Yes, ma'am, he replied. There was nothing in the day planner about Mrs. Douglas touching you? No, Chapman replied. She suggested the reason there was no entry for that meeting with Lori Douglas was because she went to Earl's and then left immediately back to her home and her child in the country. Alexander Chapman's credibility was to be defined, and things didn't go in his favor. At the end of the day, his assertions were not in sync with Lori's accounts of events, so reputation is a big part of determining who's being honest. Some red flags included he was presented with his termination form from his employment at Great West Life, and it referenced that he was let go in part because he falsified his credentials. He also claimed to never have sent the emails to his previous employer about his job status, even though there was evidence on his personal computer that he had. He claimed other people in his home may have created the emails, but he couldn't provide a suggestion of any names or evidence supporting that this was the case. He admitted that he claimed to have a university degree from the University of Concordia on his job resume. And in fact, he did not obtain a degree from that top educational facility. And before Alexander applied for the publicly funded lawyer to represent him at the inquiry, he had submitted a declaration of income saying that he only earned $1,500 and was awarded legal aid. He had failed to disclose that he had received the payment of $135,000 for his portion of ownership in a local jazz bar. When he was questioned about why every entry in the planner that he submitted as evidence of his interactions with Jack King was in a different color ink than any other entries in the diary, he suggested to have the FBI analyze it to see if they believe that the entries were authentic, even though the FBI doesn't examine evidence in Canadian court cases for the exception of extremely rare circumstances, as they are an American bureau. In his testimony, he claimed that he was approached by Jack to have sex with his wife. He said he was not into the strange sex acts that Mr. King was implying Judge Laurie Douglas was searching for, but he felt obligated to entertain Mr. King about the proposal because he wanted his divorce finalized. He said that he did not have any intimate relations with Judge Douglas, once with no flirting or unwanted behavior, and again a short meeting that Jack had arranged, and at that second meeting she had been flirtatious with him. He said she had to know why she was there. Her husband had been trying to convince her to get into this stuff with me. He told of the judge touching him as the conversation turned to exercise. She touched my muscles on my arm and my thighs, Mr. Chapman told the inquiry. He clarified that all communications, emails and phone calls, were with Jack King exclusively. He described his feelings of trauma and how he was now unable to maintain steady employment. And he told the inquiry, she can't be in any public office. That's not right. Michael Sinclair, a partner at the same law firm as Laurie and Jack, testified that Jack King told him of the photos 
and that they were posted online. He said he didn't take it seriously because Jack seemed convoluted in his explanations. He tells the panel that he was certain that Lori Douglas didn't know that Jack had posted the photos because she appeared shocked when he brought it up with her. He said he felt the same now as he did then, that it isn't right to blame the victim in this scenario. He told the panel that the firm was supportive of her, and there was never any suggestion that she leave her position there. He also told the panel that he had made a comment to Lori about leaving Jack King, but she said that she wouldn't resolve the marriage because she was concerned about Jack. Rocco Galati, Chapman's lawyer, came back at him, saying that the review the firm took was very anemic and that they accepted the claim that Lori Douglas didn't know about the photos without any challenge. And too easily, they seemed to conclude that she was not involved in sexually harassing Alexander Chapman, saying, you took her word that she was the victim. By the end of June, Sheila Block, Lori's lawyer, speaks to the panel. She argues that Lori Douglas shouldn't be held to scrutiny and re-victimized, saying, A wife is not responsible for and is not to be tarred with the brush of her husband's misdeeds. Calling the suggestion of removing her from the bench patriarchal. She presents the confirmation that Lori Douglas never discussed any sexual contact with Alexander Chapman. And she didn't ask her husband for a liaison meeting between them. She had no knowledge of her partner posting the images and finally... She did not flirt with Alexander Chapman. In fact, when she saw him present when meeting with her husband, she left almost immediately. Lawyer Ian Histed, who has been counsel for Alexander Chapman in different civil legal proceedings, was called as a witness. He said he was hired in 2003 to take Jack King to court for harassment and shortly after garnered a settlement for $25,000. In 2010, his client was unsatisfied with a settlement regarding a malicious prosecution case that he filed against the Winnipeg Police Service. That was when he began discussing revisiting the settlement against Jack King. Ian Histed testified that Alexander was very discouraged about the administration of justice in Manitoba. Chapman said the case was heard by a judge who he believed was a friend of Lori Douglas's so he decided to file lawsuits against Lori and others, while also filing a complaint with the Canadian Judicial Council. Chapman was made more upset when the lawsuits were all dismissed or dropped. It was then that Chapman began discussing going public. He was going to spill the beans, as it were, Mr. Histon said. I obviously discouraged him from doing that. He testified that he tried to help Alexander Chapman understand that his previously agreed settlement included a confidentiality clause. And it was an agreement that settled the harassment suit. He told the panel, he told Alexander, it isn't going to go anywhere. Alexander's claim was that he was still suffering and he wanted to dissemble that agreement. The attorney told the panel that he encouraged Alexander to destroy all of the emails and all of the photos, saying, I knew if he were to retain copies of it, something like this would happen. 
Jack King testifies in front of the panel, and he repeats that there was no reason for Laurie Douglas to know about his exchanges with Alexander Chapman, and that she didn't have any knowledge of him posting any of the photos online. He appeared pained as he described that he kept the Polaroids in his sock drawer, but she never questioned him about them, so he assumed she didn't even know they were there. He told of how he would sometimes take the photos in summer when it was warm, and at times where one could be seen outside naked. Likely, many times she didn't even know that the photos were being taken. He confirmed that he was still suffering from a deep depression, and he harassed his former client to indulge his fantasies, and that he settled with Alexander to prevent things from going further, and he was remorseful about the whole thing. Later, Justice Martin Friedman, the senior judge that vetted Lori for her position on the bench, testified that he had been aware of the situation, but by all accounts, Lori was an excellent candidate. He said the committee had lawyer Margaret Rose Jameson verify the rumors with Lori, and that she told them that the photos had existed, but stressed that they'd been destroyed and a settlement had been reached between her husband and his former client. He testified that in a letter submitted to Justice Minister Erwin Kotler, there was a flag about the situation because they didn't want him to be blindsided. He wanted him to know what they knew. Jameson had made notes of the meeting and provided him copies because it was not common for her to contact the candidate directly. His recollection was firm although other members of the committee filed witness statements previously, saying they didn't recall a committee discussing the photos or agreeing to follow up. Sheila Block, Lori's lawyer, suggests the inquiry should fold, because the proceeding had become, in her words, poisoned. She felt the aggressive questioning by lawyer George McIntosh of Jack King revealed bias. But Chief Justice Catherine Fraser said it was necessary for an advocacy style because of the inconsistencies within Jack's testimony. She said the inquiry would continue as our minds remain open to persuasion. The independent lawyer threatens to resign from the panel as he's concerned as well. He's saying at the minimum, the way the hearings are being conducted has to stop. He argues that witnesses are there to give information to the panel, but they could be intimidated to speak up to McIntosh or question his harsh style, because he poses questions on behalf of the panel. Several accusations of unfair examination of some witnesses begin to plague the inquiry. The five-member committee that runs the inquiry has suffered from having such an aggressive lawyer cross-examine people there to give their accounts to the panel particularly those that are seemingly sympathetic to Lori Douglas. It becomes too much. The lawyer leading the council resigns because of the disquiet, halting the hearings and putting the inquiry into limbo. So the search for a new council to represent the committee begins. The following September, it's announced that Suzanne Cote, the head of litigation in a Montreal law firm, is appointed as the new independent counsel for the inquiry. On December 5th, the Manitoba Court of Appeal rules that Alexander Chapman breached the confidentiality agreement that he signed in 2003. The court denies Alexander Chapman the attempt to raise any new issues, pointing out that he failed to even attend the original hearing. 
the appeal judge observed Alexander Chapman was attempting to use the appeal court as a tool for arguing his own case against Jack King, which was thrown out in 2010. Alexander Chapman must repay the $25,000 and the legal expenses incurred by Jack King for the case. The following spring, an application is filed in federal court to have the judicial review against Laurie Douglas ended. But by June, Suzanne Cote, the new independent counsel for the panel, suggests to the Winnipeg Free Press's Bruce Owen that she is prepared to subpoena witnesses again, including Jack King and Alexander Chapman, stating, I'm the new independent counsel, and I think in my role I have to start fresh. She says it's important that she sees the people testify and not just read testimony of their transcripts. The inquiry has a cost of over $4 million at this point. But Cote says that the weight involving a decision from the federal court is what's tying up the inquiry, and that's costing even more money. But for her to recall all of the witnesses as an additional cost, she says, I think is not major. That July the hearing is put on hold, possibly indefinitely by the federal courts. The federal court judge said for the hearings to continue would compound irreparable harm to Lori's career and reputation. It's a victory for Lori Douglas, who disagreed with the panel, allowing such clearly biased cross-examination of her husband and the fact that her lawyer was not allowed to cross-examine her accuser, Alexander Chapman. On August 20th of 2013, Chief Justice Glenn Doyle of the Manitoba Court of Queen's Bench has filed a complaint with the Canadian Judicial Council over expense claims that Lori Douglas filed, even though her expenses had been pre-approved. His complaint outlines that $6,400 in expenses submitted after he relieved her of her duties is awaiting the outcome of her hearing. The expenses were for medically prescribed therapy and some airfare to pay for her to see counsel in regards to the hearings. Lori had proper documentation supporting the claims for payment and had pre-approval before she sent in the claims. In regards to the claims, the Chief Justice Glenn Joyle says, The concerns raised in the case relate to the use of public funds, about which no Chief Justice can or should be indifferent. Among the stalled inquiry that April, Jack King passes away. In November of 2014, the Canadian Judicial Council agrees to call off its ongoing inquiry into the Manitoba Court of Queen's Bench Justice. The cost of the inquiry, both hearings and the appeals, ends up costing well over $4 million. While lawyers debate over the right for the federal courts to even review the panel that's looking into Lori's case, the entire committee reviewing the case resigns. The allegations submitted to the Canadian Judicial Council are scrapped, and Lori Douglas and the panel agree to call off the proceedings. She concedes to retire in May, when she will then earn an annual pension of $130,000 per year and the council agrees there will be no further proceedings. There is no final judgment on the controversy. Although many agree that Justice Lori Douglas was victimized by her husband, and then by Alexander Chapman, 
only to finally be victimized again by the process of the inquiry. There are some firm believers that think it was important to have moved through the process, and here is why. They say it was important for the community to see that judges don't protect each other from the public judging them, that there are checks and balances in place to ensure that they can judge each other. Really, in practical observation, the only real lesson is that the process of reviewing a fellow justice's behavior or credibility is deeply flawed. It took over four years to run through the process and with no real conclusion. While in the meantime, a respected judge has her career and personal life in chaos with no resolution. The community may have forgotten the salacious claims of Alexander Chapman long ago, but this process ensured that no one could forget. As there was a long-term focus on the case being repeated in the media for years. The pictures may not have been available online for almost a decade, but the images are burned in our memories forever now. Being victimized by Alexander Chapman's egregious acts in order to secure money where he saw an opportunity, and participating in lawful activity with her partner made many people observing the inquiry uncomfortable. Not many believe that Alexander Chapman is a credible civilian who was humiliated and terrorized by being solicited by the lawyer to sleep with his wife, and certainly didn't suffer trauma from the situation. Even though it was addressed and he agreed to a settlement, he saw promise in going back to the well. But what about Lori's trauma? Lori Douglas stayed silent over most of the proceedings, only making a statement once through her lawyer, stressing that she did not know the photos were kept by her husband and that she had no knowledge of him sharing them online. She also was clear that she answered the questions during her vetting period honestly. And before her appointment as a court of Queen's Bench Justice, she had received a call from Margaret Rose Jameson, where she had answered all of her questions regarding the past incident and was told there were no concerns about appointing her. To her knowledge, the photos had been destroyed and her husband had settled a non-disclosure agreement with Alexander Chapman. When the question was posed to her regarding any knowledge of why she wouldn't be a suitable candidate, she was certain everyone involved was fully aware of the resolved issue. And, as Margaret Rose Jameson had told her, it was not a concern. In an article in a magazine called Canadian Lawyer, she tells Glenn Couth that she had never actually seen the photos that Jack published online. This strange behavior wasn't predictable. It was more something that had gradually built up. They had only married when she was in her 40s and had one son together. As the marriage progressed, Jack seemed to be struggling and she said he was more difficult and behaving strangely, saying he was also super depressed. She felt he indulged in the photos to add excitement into the marriage, but it was for himself. It was his thing. When she learned of the photos and that they were posted online, she was furious. And when she asked him to explain how he could do that to her, he didn't have an explanation. In the early stages of Alexander approaching the media and revisiting the civil suits, 
she thought it would be more of an issue for her husband Jack and was not as quick to realize that she was going to suffer significant damage to her career and reputation. She tells of Jack being very remorseful and apologizing daily. She said she loved him very much and he was very remorseful. Their son was four and a half years old and she wasn't about to punish her child by leaving his father. Jack also had a daughter and a son from a previous marriage and she didn't want to cause trouble there. So she forgave him, saying it was in her benefit to do so and that she didn't want to be poisoned with anger. When asked about what it was like having the lawyer who initially served as independent counsel for the CJC proceedings and his staff seeing all the photos, she replied, it hurt, 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 like agony when I had to be interviewed by people who had looked at them. During the time that Jack King posted the photos online, life was very different. Social media was still in its infancy, and now this would be a completely different beast. It would be considered naive for Lori Douglas to ever believe that this story wouldn't be blasted on everyone's timeline everywhere. The CJC was just too far behind the development of online bullying and posting without people's permissions. Instead of seeing Lori Douglas as a judge that was not setting the right example for those on the bench, they should have been protecting her from cyber harassment and victimization. Two things seemed to be real points of contention for Lori. Firstly, that they didn't allow her to make her own statement during the council hearings, which lasted years, and meant she had to sit back silently, allowing everyone else to remark on her very private and personal life, as well as question her suitability in her own professional career. And secondly, it was painful that the Judicial Council retained the photos for so long, claiming they took their sweet time about returning them. I'll leave you with the National Post's conservative columnist Barbara Kay's quote. If pictures of you, naked, end up on the internet, It's quite difficult for you to say you have the credibility to be a judge. I think a woman who wants to be photographed in transgressive sexual mode is giving tact permission for her transgressions to be shared with others. And in old-fashioned parlance, she is guilty as sin. Mm -hmm.